0: Everybody, welcome to Midnight Radio, I'm your host Jerry Adams, and here's the topics I have to cover with you today. I have an update in the Delphi murders case, that's right, a new update, it just now hit the wire. There's a girl she's been missing since January, Alexis Gabe, her remains were found, We're going to tell you about that. Late last night there was a murder in La Plata. But this one has some interesting twists to it. We're going to talk about that. A 1974 cold case, a murder of two teens. There's been a man arrested. We're going to talk about that. There's been a man accused of chopping up his roommate in Phoenix. And this has some interesting similarities to some other cases I've heard lately. There's a Missouri woman who kidnapped an Arkansas woman to claim the unborn baby. This isn't the first time I've heard this happened. Probably the most shocking, and this clip has been setting the internet on fire, there's been a NPR audio of an NPR reporter in an abortion clinic interviewing people. She actually interviews a woman as she's actively getting an abortion. People are really upset about this. We will talk about this. I'll play you a little bit of that clip. And finally, what is it like to die and come back from the dead? All this and more today on Midnight Radio. I'm your host, Jerry Adams. If you'd like to leave us an email message, the email is midnightrad.io. 101 at gmail.com, that is midnightrad.io, 101 at gmail.com. you can call into our voicemail line, 325 261 325-261-0892. Write it down, 325 261 Put it on a post-it note, 325-261-0892. delphi i guess we'll do you want to start with the delphi murders update no we're not going to do that let's start with the this is a big story right here the five bodies found in la plaza let me get this uh this has a twist in it the la Pleata, i said Plieza. la Pleata, maryland now entering
1: hour seven and behind me detectives with the Charles County Sheriff's Office are expected to stay here on scene investigating throughout the night. Here's what we know. The Sheriff's Office says it's not searching for a shooter because they believe that this incident was isolated to a home here behind me on Wildflower Drive. Law enforcement sources telling News 4 that they believe this was a case of a murder-suicide, but they're doing everything they can to rule out any other scenario. What's certain here... An unsettling discovery, prompting more questions and answers in the Agricopia neighborhood of La Plata.
0: My dad it's uh, a beautiful house. and he was like, you better get home. It was like a mansion. Something man. like that happened here. At least a million the sheriff's dollars office home. says
1: someone called to report the shooting, million, but nowadays. we're not sure who that was. Investigators working now to establish the identities and the relationships between everyone involved. I can only tell you that a witness uh, called in the report, so I can't elaborate any further at this point. Neighbors, shocked to see their street covered in police tape, but authorities say there's no threat to the public.
2: This is a safe community. There's very little activity, police activity in here. We fully anticipate this to be a, an isolated incident. The sheriff's office says there's
1: no clear code, motive at this point in the investigation. That. The chief of police calling instances like this a rarity. The time that you've been in law enforcement, have you seen something like this?
2: Uh, I've been in law enforcement for 35 years. So uh, yes, once or twice in my previous agency.
1: And while there is no threat to the community, the news
2: is still hard to process for some. I mean, we don't experience much. Maybe, like, the youth here somewhere, but we don't, we
0: don't really experience anything here. It was crazy.
1: And the Charles County Sheriff's Office says it does expect to provide an update on this investigation at some point tomorrow, where we expect to learn the identities of those people involved in this case. Reporting live in La Plata, Mauricio Casillas, News 4.
0: When I find out more information, I'm going to pass it along to you. Isn't it funny how in all these stories, the police always say, or the news reporter always says, people never expected something like this in this kind of community. Is there a community you live in where you expect five people to get murdered every day? I don't know. First of all, you saw the, I believe he's a police chief saying that this is a safe community, this is an isolated incident. Whenever they say that, and they mean it, but whenever they say that, they mean... We know what happened. We know why these people got murdered. These people were connected somehow. There's somebody, the perpetrator of the murder, who specifically wanted these people dead. So there's not an active serial killer. There's not a, an active reason for other people to get murdered, like a gang war or violence or anything like that. This this was a specific person murdering specific targets but here's the thing that turns the story on its head do you know who found the people dead in his house the homeowner like the homeowner comes home and finds five people dead in his house and he didn't know what was going on that's according to his statement we are that's what makes this an, inter, an a case an interesting account This story here this tragedy this tragedy that's what makes this interesting I'm going to continue to follow the story, and I will update you here. Here's a story that you might have heard about last January. Alexis Gabe, her partial remains were found in Plymouth, California, on Thursday. The city of Oakland announced on Facebook Gabe, 24, went missing out of Oakland in January and is believed to have been killed by her ex-boyfriend, Marshall Jones. A resident of Plymouth noticed the Amador County Sheriff's Office notified them at about 3 p.m. on Thursday that they found what they believed to be human remains. A CSO responded to the scene and decided to conduct an investigation Friday morning, the city of Oakland said. A forensic odontologist positively identified the remains. The remains are partial, and the city believes the rest of her remains are scattered over several areas. Due to the condition of Alexis' remains, we realize there may never be a full recovery of her. That's from the city. Plymouth is located about 40 miles south of Sacramento. The remains were found just off Jackson Road. This is an area where Jones went after Gabe was reported missing jones was killed by police on june 1st in kent washington after he lunged at officers with a knife he became part of our family we had no idea he was capable of doing something like this to her that's what gabe's father said for a full timeline regarding gabe's disappearance here's a link and i will put it in the show notes there will be no refund for anybody who finds any more of her body parts. So we know we know that they at least found the head because they had the teeth. Well how about this? How about this? This was a young young woman, college age, who was murdered. Murdered by as they believe, they believe it was her, her ex boyfriend. People you gotta be careful. And we're not talking about experienced murderers, are we? We had a story yesterday where somebody murdered somebody for the first time. I mean, out of the blue, they, people, people are snapping and they're starting to kill people. Do you realize the increase in murders since the whole COVID lockdown happened? And I'm using that as a timeline. I'm not blaming it in COVID. I mean, maybe somebody could make that case, but that's not where I'm going with this. But since that happened, it's also been a 30% increase in alcohol deaths since COVID started, by the way. I did come across that number today. But since that time, murders have increased exponentially. A lot of female murderers, not just females being murdered. We have an Oregon man arrested in the 1974 case Cold case murders of two teens. He was arrested this week after being linked to the 1974 cold case homicides of two teenagers. Stephen Paul Chris, 65 of Aloha, was a teenager himself when he allegedly used a 22 caliber gun to fatally shoot teens Donald Bartran and Peter Zito Jr. in the parking lot of a recreation center on October 3rd 1974. The bodies of Bartron, 16, and Zito, 18, were found on the ground next to a 1956 Oldsmobile that had his hood popped open as the teens worked on it. Barton and Zito were shot in the head. And that was a long time ago. Detective Mark Polvini said Friday during a news conference that Chris was an early suspect in the case after he was arrested in December of 1974 for theft, an deputy found a 22 caliber gun. The weapon was tested to see if it matched evidence in the teen slangs. After there was no match, the gun was returned to Chris who joined the army and was assigned to Fort Lewis in Washington in 1976. He used the same 22 caliber gun to kill his commanding officer, Sergeant Jacob Kim Brown, officials said. Chris had damaged Brown's car and owed him a few hundred dollars. Instead of paying his debt, he shot the Sergeant Brown five times in the head. Chris was sentenced to 35 years in Leavenworth, Kansas, but only served a dozen and was paroled in 88. Newspaper accounts in 76 confirmed Chris was accused of killing Brown and then pleaded guilty in the slaying. Detectives this year sent the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives evidence for testing, which showed Chris's 22 caliber gun was used in the teens' 1974 slings and matched the weapon used to kill Brown only two years later. So there you go. They made a mistake in the ballistic testing to begin with. Again, this is... From the detective, the gun Steve Chris used to murder Sergeant Brown was, in fact, the same gun he used to murder Donnie Barton and Pete Zito. I wonder what an individual like that—and I'm talking about the murderer. I'm talking about Chris. I wonder what an individual like that who was paroled in 88 and he wasn't arrested till 2022 for, for the original murder. He did. I wonder what his life was like. Did he have children? Was he a good employee? What kind of job did he get when he murdered his last boss? I'm interested. Let me see here. Stephen, Paul, Chris, nope. I'm gonna put a link to this story in the show notes. How many? There, I've I've heard this several times in several different cases, to where the murderer, they test, they found the murder weapon, they tested it. And he got off because it wasn't the same weapon they found. Here's another interesting, I say interesting. It's more like horrific, isn't it? It's a man accused of killing his roommate by chopping up his body inside of a Phoenix home.
2: We begin tonight with new details on a gruesome murder in Phoenix. This man, Thomas Wallace, is accused of using a chainsaw to kill an elderly man living in the same home. Wallace was in court today, but the murder he's accused of happened more than a month ago.
1: The victim's family hadn't heard from him for a few weeks, and the police officers who went to check on him found him dismembered inside his own home. Michael Raimondi is live near 27th Avenue in Camelback, and Michael, you've been learning more about this man from his neighbors.
2: Yeah, neighbors are really just stunned to find out what happened inside the house behind us. They told us an Air Force veteran in his 80s lived inside of this home, and we're just shocked to find out that someone living here allegedly murdered Tim. So they were just telling me today, he will certainly be missed. A Phoenix neighborhood is now wondering why something so violent would happen here.
0: He is just a great guy.
2: Ruby Lowry knew the man across the street since the 70s when they moved here. Police have not identified the man who was killed. Ruby didn't want to show her face, but she wanted to share he was the neighborhood handyman.
0: He was a very good neighbor. He was a very good guy. He would help anybody.
2: And according to court paperwork, he helped Ramona Gonzalez, who moved in with him. Last April, he helped one of her friends move in, too. That friend is the one accused of murdering the homeowner. The family of the victim hadn't heard from him for four weeks. They called police to check on him. When they went inside, they found him dismembered in trash bags.
0: Very sad. Like I said, he didn't deserve
2: to. Police say Wallace used a chainsaw to murder the man, but they aren't sure why Wallace is now being held on a million-dollar bond.
0: I hope they get what they deserve, you know, because, like I said, he he was, to help anybody that's why he probably had him over there
2: as for that woman ramona who was living here a couple of years ago and then brought wallace here to live as well she is facing charges for selling some of the stolen items she took from the homeowner here as for wallace he's expected back in court next week
0: police say they found the chainsaw a pawn shop and could smell decomposition on it and in the sawblazer's blazers, pieces of flesh and torn ligaments. It does look like there was some form of drugs involved with the people, the murderers. So if we get any updates on this, I will cover it. Links to this will be on the website. If you'd like to call in, you have a comment or question about some of the comments, some of the comments I'm making, or... Some of the stories we're dealing with today. The phone number is 325 261 325 261 We're about to talk about, about abortion. NPR has taken a lot of heat recently because they have a story up on their website, audio, of a woman actively getting an abortion while being interviewed. Plus, it's an anti-abortion piece. So they're getting a lot of heat from the Republican Party about this in a time when they're trying to trying to get money raised for candidates. And uh, we're days away from the November elections, of course. So they're trying to use abortion as a hot topic. I know it was ruled by the Supreme Court that abortion c- cannot be ruled legal By the Supreme Court on a national level. And that opened it up for the states to have their say on whether abortion is legal or not in their jurisdiction, in their state. Not that abortion was illegal, but that it was illegal, unconstitutional for the state to impose, for the feds, for the federal government to impose that on the states. So this is a hot topic for the democrats right now is they say that abortion is made illegal by quote unquote republicans and that the supreme court is not valid because they are against the whole democratic republic process so that is what's on the line here that's why this was produced and the outrage comes people are outraging because of this story because NPR, National Public Radio, is not only publicly funded, but it is government funded. So that's why they're having backlash on it for it to be so partisan. And basically, this is what they're saying. Doing election issues to campaign for the Democratic Party. Now, there's supposedly, I've heard in the works, there's going to be some backlash through some of the things the democratic party has done in the past four years, two years, rather since Biden has been in office. And that started with Twitter when it was bought by Elon Musk. And he started evenly distributing their censorship and firing off and laying massive amounts to people. Now, from the intel I've gathered, this is also this is not good. I'm not saying that any of this is good. Just follow me here. I heard that this is also going to fall and hit YouTube to where you're going to have equal censorship on both sides. But the people who were activists behind the scenes against the uh, Republican Party are going to get fired. But it's going to clamp down on free speech for both sides. Hello. So expect that expect all that to happen, I'm telling you right now. So I'm gonna We're gonna go over this story right now. This is about the abortion clinic. Uh, a lot of people want this pulled off. There's a editor's warning disclaimer on the story. There's gonna be links for you can so you can listen to the full thing, the full audio article on NPR. Now, the link to this is on the podcast sh- podcasting show notes. Podcasting show notes. It's not on YouTube. It's not on the website or anyplace else. This is just me and you right here. Broadcasting live now on midnightrad.io. But the link is only going to be in the podcast show notes. And all your favorite podcast players, we're on Apple. We're on Google. Uh, we're on Android. We're on everything. That is Midnight Radio. I'm about to play this clip for you. I've listened to this article, but not this part. I have got it to the part where she's interviewing the woman that's getting the abortion. And I do encourage you to listen to this whole article. This whole clip here, it's about 11 minutes long, and it shows you the minds of the people that are there getting abortions, it talks about some women are there because there's this one woman that had two or three kids and had money. She had a husband. She was a stay-at-home mom, and her last kid was getting old enough to go to school, so she wanted to have an abortion because she didn't want to have a new kid that she had to stay home. She wanted to go out and back in the workforce. There's this other woman who was about to get a divorce. She was in the process of divorce when she had a one-night stand and got pregnant for it. And she didn't want to have that baby. And they're talking, again, so when the federal government said that the federal government, the Supreme Court, didn't have the right to rule on abortion, it it should be handled by the states. And this opened up to all the state governments to make their you know, to pass their own laws on it. That is where the abortion issue was being taken care of at the state level. So it was going back and forth. And these women are this one woman who had a one night stand during her divorce. She had to wait until 14 weeks. She had to have the baby in her for 14 weeks and she calls it an it. It's not alive to her. But they're really pushing against this narrative about the government outlawing abortions and pro-choice, like their government's not pro-choice. All right, I'm going to play this clip for you, and we'll talk about it on the flip side.
3: This next patient is not one of the patients you heard before. She's asked that we not use her name. She's from Michigan. She already has one kid. She's having her abortion at about 11 weeks. Nearly all abortions in Michigan are before 13 weeks. And like many patients at Northland, she said I could record her procedure. We're going to hear some of that now.
2: So I'm just going to get you set up
3: on the table and we're going to do that sedation medicine. I'm going to pull this out under your legs. Most patients are partially awake during the procedures. They get IV medication for pain and anxiety. The lights are dimmed. There's soothing music. It actually feels a lot like a childbirth. The medical gown, your bare legs and stirrups. And a person next to you saying, you can do this. Please, please. just keep breathing. That's Brandy. She's one of the staffers. Her job is to monitor vital signs, but it is also to hold the patient's hand and talk her through this. Whether it's a birth or an abortion, it is often women, guiding other women. I'm going to hear this machine turn on now. Okay, it makes a loud noise. Okay. Blow it out, blow it out, breathe through, breathe
1: through, blow it
3: out. Listen oh. to me, blow it out. If you hold your breath, it just makes it harder for you. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Just keep breathing, Brandy tells her, over and over. I can't, the patient says at one point, when the cramps get painful.
0: Yes, noise. you can, Brandy. All right, I'm gonna stop it right there. That's the suction machine. Not easy to listen to. Links to this is gonna be in the show notes. So I listened to this up till this point, and you you hear the women's reason for getting these abortions, and they all see, it seems like a mistake, and it seems like they're all confused and they're all crying. This is an easy, easy decision for them to go to, and it's not not an easy decision for them to keep a baby or to terminate it. But it's not an it. It's a being. Know that. If it's not a baby, if it's an it, if it's not a baby, then you're not pregnant. And the whole idea, women should have the freedom to choose It's their body and their choice, yet the government tried to mandate COVID vaccines on everybody that didn't want it, and even those that wanted it. But there's a narrative of my body, my choice. No. And if it's your body, your choice, and you're pregnant, either you're pregnant or you're not, if you're pregnant, then you have another body inside yours. So because of your decisions you are terminating another life you're giving another life the death penalty because of your mistakes because of your confusion these are some of the arguments your mind can form i'm leaving it up to you to think for yourself there's going to be a link to this entire clip on the show notes of this i'd like to hear from you know what you think So let's talk about when a baby becomes a baby or an entity, a person. Here's my view on that. If you look at my YouTube page where I met Jesus, that happened before I was born. These are memories from before I was born. Believe it or not, this is what I believe. So if this was before I was born, and according to the Bible, he said, I knew you before I knit you together in your mother's womb. Look that one up. That's according to what. That's what God thinks. That's what He thinks when you became a person. I knew you before I knit you in your mother's womb. That's before you were born. We're talking about cellular division, and that happens in the zygote phase, and not at conception. It's before conception. Chew on that one because there's no time. There's no time in heaven. So, I believe, and I don't know everything. Okay. So I'm not self-righteous or anything like that or give or make up information. This is from the information I legitimately have. So he knows you before you're born. So what about the babies that are aborted? Well, he knows them too. I don't know. What happens to them? I don't know. I assume babies that are aborted go to heaven. I'm pretty sure, but I don't know but I do know that they're people before they're born and they're murdered because of a choice. What do you think? I would love to hear from you. You don't have to agree with me. I won't be mad at you. Maybe I'm wrong. This is the way I look at things. Well, this is the way I look at things. Everybody that has an opinion, I listen to. And I, in my mind, I have a little scales and it tips in your favor. Your favor, I put, I put the benefit of the doubt or the the bias towards what you believe, and I listen to what you say, and I judge it with what I know, and if I'm wrong, well, I don't want to go around my rest rest of my life being a, a dumbass with my own beliefs, do I? No, we all seek the truth, right? So basically, it's the skills of truth. And I can either, okay, I, I understand, or I'll, it'll, you know, the truth is a truth. I'll know it's not true, and dismiss what you say in my mind. And you should be like that too. You shouldn't go around with your own beliefs, whether just because you were taught that. You should always weigh what you're told. It's called discernment. But I can't do that if you don't tell me. Phone number is three two five two six one zero eight nine two. Do you think NPR was okay? for playing this clip personally on that note, I think it's a very good story. It didn't to, for me, it's not pro abortion. It's like a horror story for not having an abortion. And maybe if you're pro abortion, it makes you angry at those forces that are stopping you from being able to have access to abortion, which really is in the state of Michigan. It's in the voters of Michigan. That's up to you, not the federal government anymore. But and your elected officials in Michigan. But this is the facts being reported, right? With a bias. Phone number 325-261-0892. 325-261-0892. You can leave up to a three-minute message on there. You can email me. Email me midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. I'd like to talk to you about these issues. I've got an update. Yes, I do. We have an update on the Delphi murders case. This is just breaking right now northern Indiana judge has recused himself from the case of two slain teenage girls, an Indiana Supreme Court spokesman said on Thursday. The Indiana Supreme Court is in the process of appointing Allen County Supervisor Court Judge Fran Gull, a special judge in the case, after Carroll Circuit Court Judge Benjamin Dinar's recusal And she went on to say that a judge does not have to explain a reason for recusal. Diener's recusal came on the same day he approved a request from Carroll County Sheriff Toby Zinby to transfer Richard Allen, the suspect of the 2017 killings, to the Indiana Department of Corrections for safety reasons. In order to transfer, Allen, Dinar wrote... This finding is not predicted on any acts or alleged acts of the defendant since arrest, rather a toxic and harmful insistence on public information about defendant and this case. So this judge is blaming the public, the public wanting to know the details of the murder and what the police have. Denard said the court found Allen to be in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death or represents a substantial threat to the safety of others he also addressed what he termed the public bloodlust for information in this case calling it dangerous and saying all public servants all public servants working on the case do not feel safe or protected the order went on to the state's public desire to learn about the case and access court records was inherently disruptive to court operations Allen is being held on twenty million dollar bond. Like I said, he had a bond. Remember? Remember how the news person the other day said he was held without bond? That's not true. It's twenty million. It's usually that high when you know they know this is never going to be able to get out. He was arrested, Allen, fifty, was arrested last Friday on two murder counts in the killings of Liberty Germain, of Liberty German, 14, and Abigail Williams, thirteen, in a case that is haunted Delphi. Now, here's where the controversy comes from people like us that want to know more, right? The deaths were ruled a double homicide, but police have never disclosed how they died or described what evidence they gathered. A relative had dropped them off at a hiking trail near Morin High Bridge just outside their hometown of Delphi, about 60 miles northwest of Indianapolis. Their bodies were found the next day. In a rugged, heavily wooded area near the trail. Dinar entered a not plead guilty for Allen at his initial hearing on Friday. So this judge is accusing the people. Is it necessary for the police and the court to hold back some information until the trial? Absolutely. Is it fair of this judge to, to blame the public for wanting information? Is the fact that he made these statements the reason he had to leave the, this case? The public wasn't having it? Or maybe he just doesn't want to be known as the one involved in this case. I can understand that too, couldn't you? Um, look at all the judges that had to be involved with the judgments of other murderers, mass murderers, or just famous murderers, period. They become famous, and is this something you want to be known for? Well, that's up to him. We're going to continue to follow this. A link to this article is going to be in the show notes for this podcast, which is a recording of the broadcast on MidnightRed.io got a question for you. So this is an investigation I was conducting, conducting and I came up with some insular information I wanted to give to you. And I don't know if you guys know this, but you know about near death experiences or NDEs as it's called. But did you know no matter if they saw the light and they went to heaven or God showed them the pits of hell or maybe they didn't see anything. Did you know that if you come back from the dead, there's consequences? Did you know that? There's usually great pain involved in that. Pain in all your joints. Breathing problems because of fluid settling. And for the rest of your life that you are alive, you don't come back whole. And if you do, it's very rare. Did you know that? So that is the story I was working on, the pain of coming back to life. But I found this, and I found it very interesting. This is on Quora, which I I don't use, but... The question is, how does it feel to die and then come back to life? It tells stories or accounts of people that died and came back. Oh, here's an interesting one. Dying is not hard at all. I simply passed out and into another dimension. I only found out that I had died when my daughter later informed me that I had been out 8 to 11 minutes. I felt like I had a dream while I was out in which I was held down by guards who took me outside and showed me the shoot I was going to go to hell in. Those scheduled for the shoot to hell first had their heads removed, which was placed in the trunk of an old Pontiac seemed like a good idea at this point, and they took me back inside where they said, who? They were never fully explained, and I wasn't going to wait around to find out that I was being given a second chance and to get it right this time. Anyway, I woke up from the coma 17 days later. The very morning, they were scheduled to withdraw all life support. A doctor had called my daughter and told her life support would be withdrawn the day prior, but my daughter pleaded for one more day which gave me the day I needed to wake up. The aide sitting by my bed was quite surprised and dropped her knitting when I asked her for something to eat. I learned later a group of young people had prayed for my recovery every day. I was in a coma and disappeared that morning without my ever knowing who they are. Someone had placed a little statue of Jesus at the head of my bed and I left it to perform its next miracle for the next occupant. Prior to passing out, I kept pointing to the ceiling and trying to tell the doctor that's where I'm heading. Of course, that didn't include the code, am I being rushed to trauma, which I didn't remember. That's the way it happened. Sorry, no bright lights or people coming to get me from the other side. No music and angels, but miraculous nonetheless. I succumbed to toxic shock, introduced by surgery just a week prior. I've kept my promise to do what's right. What would anyone do in the same circumstance? There's a lot of interesting accounts here. I'll read one more to you, and I'll leave the rest to you. I was a child... As I remember about four or five, given the timeline of events in my life, staying with my grandmother at the time, I just remember being woken up by my grandmother. For some reason, she was frantic, but I was so tired, I just wanted to go back to sleep. Why can't I do that, Grandma? She forced me to get out of bed and gave me some soup. The wild thornberries was playing in the background, and I almost fell asleep in my soup a couple of times. My my mother walked through the front door. And though I was happy to see her, I wasn't sure why she was there. She wasn't supposed to be there, not until the end of the weekend. And why had someone, and why had she gone shopping for clothes? And most importantly, why did I have to change into them? None of these women understood. I just wanted to get some damn sleep. I'd been woken up from one of the best naps I can remember. When the front door opened again, it was a couple of EMTs. They were very friendly, especially to my mother and grandmother, because I think they really needed a friend at that moment. They led me and my mother outside and into the back of an ambulance. I was friends with the EMTs, but they talked too much. I don't remember anything they were saying, but I do vividly remember the brief moment in time when I was suddenly watching them talk to me. Actually, I lied. I lied. They were talking to my mother, telling her to back up and give them space. I was finally asleep. I could see it, but they didn't like it very much. I don't remember waking up, but I obviously did at some point. And my next memory is being in a hospital with an oxygen mask on. I was told I couldn't leave until... Jeez, I can't even remember that. Until I breathed in all the oxygen. Until I'd been breathing normally for a set amount of time. I just wanted to be home. I later learned that my grandmother had been calling me to eat, checking on me when I didn't respond after a while, and discovered I was in bed, not breathing. She called my mama, my mother and an ambulance. My mother hadn't gone shopping. She just bought some clothes from home, and I flatlined in the ambulance. The best way I can describe the experience is dreamlike. I didn't understand anything that was going on, and when I finally went, I felt comfortable. All that said... I'm still terrified to ever go again, mostly because I know I most likely won't get to come back next time. If you'd like to read this account and countless more, and they're all very fascinating and interesting, you can do that on our show notes page of the podcast. I'm going to put a link. I'm going to put a link to this. Thank you for joining me yet again. I'm gonna try to make this a daily thing. I'm gonna put a. I'm still saying I'm gonna do this because I am. I'm gonna put a schedule of this on the community page of my YouTube and a schedule of this on my website, MidnightRad.io. I'm gonna put a schedule of this in the next podcast, so you know when you're live on MidnightRad.io, in case you want to listen live and respond while we're doing this because this is a live show recorded and sent out to you as a podcast thank you for tuning in really appreciate it if you have a comment or question about any of the stories or issues that you heard about right now in this episode is 325 261 325 261 come in and join the conversation 325-261-0892 again the email address is dot. IO at gmail.com. Actually that is midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. to that in the show notes. Until next time, God bless.